getting better. That's what I would say. And they stay there. And they stay there. And they stay there. Well, hey, it's just as simple as that. You don't have to crown this team. You don't have to all of a sudden think that they're going to find a way to win 10 games this year and win out and they're a top 10 team again. No, it can be as simple as what Brent Venables just said there. They are getting better. And that's been the main point uh, all weekend long throughout the postgame show, and it's going to be the main point again today is I'm not trying to crown this team. I'm not going to try to present them to you as something that they are not. They still got a lot to prove. But the several questions that we had about this team over the bye week, they answered most, if not all of them, at least on the defensive side. So, hey, I'm sitting here today on a uh, victory Monday, very, very happy and very pleased with the way that the defense played against Iowa State. Yes, there were still some bad moments in there. We all remember the 4th and 12 OU gave up for the only Iowa State score of the day. But at the same time, the final five minutes of regulation – when Iowa State had all the momentum, Jack Tri Stadium was as loud as it had been all day long. You had the same feeling as I did. Uh-oh, here we go again. Oh, you had a two-score lead. Iowa State's got the ball down seven. I feel like they're going to go down here and score and we might go to overtime. Instead, the defense goes interception, interception, turnover on downs. The defense, to me, the reason that you won the game on Saturday wasn't perfect but it was a lot better than we've seen previously uh, in conference play from that OU defense. Tyler McComas, no Ted Lehman today. Teddy's on the golf course today. Uh, we missed him on Friday. He didn't join the show on Friday. He's out again today as well, so uh, I think we're supposed to catch up with him tomorrow. That means Josh Helmer is with us for the next three hours. And Tell me where I'm wrong, man, because I, I did see, even against a bad offense, and Iowa State is just that, a bad offense, I saw some improvement by the OU defense on Saturday. Absolutely you did. And what's up, my friend? Good afternoon to you. Happy to be with you on this Halloween, Halloween hangout that we've got uh, Victory Monday for us. That was the big storyline, right? Going in was just the overall ineptitude, for the most part, of Iowa State's offense. And could Oklahoma, who has had certainly their own, uh, you know, myriad of defensive problems, what was going to give? And ultimately, what what showed up was that Oklahoma's defense played well. I thought improved coming out of a bye week. Yeah, we'll monitor, uh, obviously, what it looks like going forward versus Baylor and beyond. But for one game, Oklahoma, I think you can make the argument, one, because of what its defense did. Not that the offense uh, didn't make some plays here and there. They certainly did. Uh, and, you know, made plays to kind of close the thing out. But in large part, yes, they won because of what the defense did. Yeah, and I made the points on social media this weekend of just that, like, hey, steps were made, it's improvement. And I didn't get a whole lot of pushback, but I got some pushback, and and all of it basically said the same thing. It was, well, I didn't see any improvement. I just saw a defense that played against a terrible offense. Well, hey, exactly. Like, just that. Yes, Iowa State, outside of Xavier Hutchinson, they really don't have any good pieces on the offensive side of the ball. But let's remember like where we started from Josh and what we've been kind of talking about I think a defensive performance where you only give up 13 points and you come up with three turnovers against a bad offense as bad as it sounds I I think even that was improvement so I know there's been a little bit of pushback I'm not going to buy this defense just yet I'm not saying you should just recognize and acknowledge the good game that they played on Saturday 
Absolutely. And they deserve credit for that, man, because it could have – look, it, it could have been the exact opposite, Tyler. It could have been that Iowa State came out, and guess what? Hunter Deckers, we've seen quarterbacks that we thought were average or below average quarterbacks come out and have – career days versus Oklahoma and that didn't happen versus Iowa State in Ames and when the game could have turned in their direction late Oklahoma found a way defensively to make plays to go win the football game and put it away can you imagine what this Monday would be like if it was the opposite if Oklahoma got got torched again and 30 plus you know points put on the scoreboard and they lose the game. I mean, then we're talking about doom and gloom and is Oklahoma going to win a game the rest of the season. Now, all of a sudden, thanks to what Oklahoma did in Ames and some defensive improvement, and I don't know, a little game that happened up in the Little Apple in Manhattan, Kansas, now all of a sudden, really every game on the schedule, it, it, it was the case to start last week, but it feels more the case now. I don't think it's crazy to say what what if Oklahoma wins out. The rest of the way, it feels like now all of a sudden that's a, a possibility, at least a possibility for this team. Yeah, um, I, and I guess the million-dollar question today is, like, what do we expect from, from here on out? And I, I still think that that is it's definitely a question mark. Uh, I'm not going to expect elite defense from here on out, but am I going to expect the defensive play that I saw against TCU in Texas? Not necessarily. I, I guess my hope now moving forward is that I've seen improvement throughout the past two games, and continued improvement will be made. Because this, I mean, this isn't the end of the road, right? Cool. You got better throughout the bye week. I, that was to be expected, right? I think you should have gotten better throughout the bye week. That's great. Let's see you make improvements again this week, and let's see you to make continued improvements as the season goes on. I, I think that that's what you, uh, you got to hope for at this point. But were you not, were you not super nervous? When Iowa State had the ball down seven in the fourth quarter, the OU offense was looking stagnant. And, I, I, I mean, I, I totally thought Iowa State was probably going to go down and score and tie the game. And the defense, man, coming up with a couple uh, late stops, three late stops, including two turnovers. And isn't it interesting, Josh, that, you know, maybe the three guys that have been criticized the most on this defense are certainly up high on the list. All had, um, not all had really good games, but all three came away with turnovers, right? Like, Stutzman made the really bad, he was really bad in coverage on that fourth and 12, but he did come back with the interception. But Deshaun White played his best game of his career. Ted Roof said that earlier today. But the other two guys that made picks, Woody Washington and Justin Broyles, have been highly criticized this year, and they came up with maybe two of the more critical plays of the entire game, especially Justin Broyles. No doubt, uh, just given the sequence of when that interception happened after Iowa State just had the 12-play the touchdown drive, and of course Oklahoma goes three and out to give it right back to them with really uh, you know, the better part of the fourth quarter left, right? I mean, nine-plus minutes left in the game, so there's a lot of time for Iowa State to, to go tie this football game up, maybe take it into overtime and perhaps hand Oklahoma a loss that would have uh, had a lot of people feeling very – uninspired for what the rest of the season would look like for OU. And instead, guess what? Yeah, Broyles gets the, the interception. You get, uh, you know, a nice nice uh, punt to pin them deep. And then, of course, uh, you're able to uh, put it away from there after the Stutzman pick. So the defense answered the call, especially in that fourth quarter when it was winning time. And for a group that has not been good for a month since the trip up to Lincoln, Nebraska, for them to get into the situation to where, Tyler, they were counted upon to go make plays. And then to go make plays was uh, yep. surprisingly good. 
I mean, the offense had 27 points on the day. Well, I mean, the special teams gave you seven of those, and the defense really gave you another seven of those. Like, the reason why the offense was able to get it to a two-score lead is because Stutzman, you know, returned interception inside the five-yard line. So it was the defense at times that set up the offense to come away with points on Saturday, which is uh, it's pretty wild, man. I, I got to tell you, though, that fake field goal was Zach Schmidt. That was, without a doubt, for me, the single happiest moment of the entire season. In no way, in no way, Josh, did I think that they were going to fake that field goal. And I definitely didn't expect Zach Schmidt to basically run off tackle, seemingly, to try and score that touchdown. But the seas opened, and there was just wide open spaces for him to run. I, I, I pretty much, I, I think I passed out for at least five seconds during that play. It was awesome, dude. No doubt. Yeah, it was uh, perfectly timed, and it was interesting hearing Venables afterwards say basically that they've had some some fake calls in before and have checked out of it because they didn't like what they saw from an opponent. And in, in that moment, obviously, they liked what uh, the alignment looked like from Iowa State. And for you know Turk and Schmidt to execute that as beautifully as they did is no 1,000% it's going to happen thing, right? I mean, so that – portion of it was well executed and then just the way they caved it in to the right you're you're dead on on the money here I mean Zach Schmidt walks into the end zone on the play on what was essentially yes an off tackle fake so it was uh it was well done the timing of the play the execution of the play all of it you know I we don't know because we didn't see the game play out without said play but you know you almost wonder if Oklahoma wins the game without it yeah sure Nine one eight. The interceptions certainly were the difference. Without them, the defense gave up so many third and fourth down long yardage situations that we likely would have lost. Y- yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to the point. In no way was the defense perfect on Saturday. They were better, but there were still several instances where they drove you completely crazy, and the majority of that was in third and third and long and fourth and long situations. Uh, it, it is amazing to me, man. Uh, It's been going on for several years now, and not to kind of harp on the negative on Saturday, but their inability to get off the field on third and fourth and long is just, it's it's nuts, dude. And it seemingly happens every single week. And it did again on Saturday. Well, and that's, again, when you talk about the finish that the defense had, if you can go negative to positive, the fact that they gave up each of those two fourth downs, right, the way that they did, one of which obviously was the touchdown play, that's what made you feel like there's no way that Iowa State isn't going to tie this football game up and either take it to overtime or Oklahoma's going to have to put together an offensive drive to go win it. So that was kind of an amazing heel turn there for Oklahoma defensively to have some of the bad and then respond with some of the good. And really for Oklahoma, Tyler, it's probably just something where you have to accept, look, those third and fourth downs that at times make you want to yank your hair out, that's not going away overnight and certainly not overnight this season. Yeah, no, I I agree. Uh, Burley Boomer says, I don't know what was better, the fake for the score or Matt Campbell's reaction. Matt Campbell had some great reactions on Saturday. Oh, it was awesome. And I said on uh, our ref pregame show that I am going to take the prop bet where Matt Campbell loses his mind on the sideline. And, oh, buddy, that one cashed like in the first half of the game. Matt Campbell went nuclear on the sideline. Peyton says, I was watching it live, 
and my brain just like broke. Took me 10 seconds to process. Talking about the fake field goal touchdown. Which, by the way, the fake field goal uh, reminds me of the ref watch party on Saturday. Thanks once again for all the support. Um, That's three different restaurant bars that we've had uh, shows at this year. And Vin Pizza on Britain was the third place that we've packed out. I mean, there were people waiting for a table uh, in the second half of that game. So thank you to the Ref Army for for showing up once again on Saturday. But, dude, there were grown men hugging once Zach Schmidt found himself in the end zone on Saturday. That is not an exaggeration, Josh Helmer. Grown men were hugging after that fake field goal happened for a touchdown. It was a magical moment for a lot of people. It was great. <laughs> it's a reasonable moment for grown men to be hugging. I mean, that in, in the moment, that makes sense. Yeah, the real beauty of that fake field goal was that it allowed Schmidt to sell the kick up until the moment he caught the pitch, says the text line. Don't think I've ever seen a fake like that. I don't think I've ever seen a fake like that either. You know, normally in, the, in a fake field goal, you know, the holder is, you know, throwing the ball to a tight end or somebody in the end zone, or we've seen Michael Honeycutt catch it kind of by the sideline and get out there by the pylon and score. But, dude, your kicker basically running it right at the middle, I don't know if they saw something on film that week. Like, that was kind of a weakness. I, I, I don't know what they saw or, or, or if they just blocked it up perfectly. But that's I, – I don't – I mean, it, it was beautiful, man. It was one of the best fake field goals I, I think I've seen, certainly from OU's side. It was awesome. It was, it was a low-stress fake field goal. It was like, wow, this is yeah, – right. as it happened, it was like this is, this is easily going to work. It was wild. Yeah, Weston from Norman says the defense only gave up five yards in a reception and 66 rushing yards. Defense had a great day. Yeah, we'll talk more about the defense for sure as the show rolls on. But coming up next, what do we think about the offense's performance on Saturday? It certainly wasn't great, and they were up against the best defense in the conference. But are you concerned at all about the offense moving forward? Uh, We'll take your text, 405-651-3439. We'll give our opinions as well. More breakdown of the OU win over Iowa State on Saturday. Sooners win it 27-13 over the Cyclones. Tyler McComas, Josh Helmer, more to come right here on The Rush. Keep it locked on The Ref. It is The Rush on The Ref. We're the home of Sooner fans. Tyler McComas, Josh Helmer in today. We got you until 6 p.m. I'm live at the Newcastle Casino where I feel like everyone here is dressed up but me. I did not get the memo. I was supposed to dress up out here at the Newcastle Casino, but – Everyone else is having a good time. Come out and hang out with us again. We'll be here until 6 p.m. 405-651-3439 is the Air Comfort Solutions text line. I'll get to that momentarily. Yeah, but the offense wasn't great, man. Um, They took so many deep chances on first down on Saturday. And there were definitely times where a receiver had a step or a half of a step on the defender. They just weren't able to hit on that big play. And I hate to use the old... Lincoln Riley saying, but it really felt the offense was close all afternoon long from hitting on that big play and uh, maybe opening some things up in the passing game. But Dylan Gabriel had less than 150 yards passing, which, by the way, Josh, if I would have told you that Gabriel was going to have less than 150 yards passing on Saturday, I'm going to guess you wouldn't have been all that optimistic about OU winning the game. (laughs) No, I would have probably thought they lost Mm -hmm. by a couple of scores. Exactly. So, well, and, and they, they're, they're going to have to play better moving forward. The fumble by Gray, um, what was that, the second offensive possession, I think, was costly. They're going to have to do a better job of hitting on that deep balls. Are you concerned at all about the offense moving forward after what we saw on Saturday? 
Oh, I, I don't think super concerned, no. I, I, You know, you look at Iowa State's season to date, and that's what, the second most points that they've given up to anybody. So I do think we have to keep in mind Iowa State, look, am I trying to sit here and tell you that they're the – 85 Bears or somebody, or that this is Georgia's defense from last season, or one of the top defenses nationally. No, but it is, I think, the best defense, and stats bear that out within the Big 12 Conference. So it's, uh, to date, the best defense that Oklahoma has seen, and at times on Saturday, it played out that way for Oklahoma. Not to mention, you know, kind of got combined with just a mysteriously bad day for Marvin Mims. So there were some things that just didn't go great offensively for Oklahoma, but uh, the beautiful thing is on a day where all of that happened, once it was all said and done, you find a way to win by a couple of scores. It was strange, wasn't it? First play of the game, I mean, Gabriel puts it. I I don't know if that could have been a better throw. And it would have been called back anyway. Wasn't there a holding on on that play? But he drops that one, first play of the game, and then what was it, the second half, he – Drops one. Another really good throw by Gabriel. That was uh, that was mysterious. I, I don't all of a sudden worry about Marvin Mims moving forward. I think he'll be okay. I still think he's your best wide receiver. But that was uh, – no, it, it was definitely interesting the way they struggled. So throw that in, all right? Throw that in. If I would have told you on Friday, Gabriel has less than 150 yards and Marvin Mims has probably his worst game of the year. Like His numbers were better than what they were in that Texas game, but obviously he didn't have that many chances there. That was Marvin Mims' worst game, and still they figured out a way to win by a couple scores. So I I, I guess more than anything, that still speaks to the defense and the way that they were able to play. Against a bad offense, yes, text line. I know that Iowa State is not good and they have a bad offense. I realize that. But still, with the way that the offense performed, you won by two scores. It's steps, it's progress, it's something. It's better than what we saw in the month of October. Can we at least agree on that, please? Absolutely. It's look, it ain't even close as compared to that. That's like they're not even playing the same sport. This offense versus what you saw for two and a half quarters really versus TCU in the entirety at the Cotton Bowl. It uh probably could have been a much different game if, you know, for everything that we can say negative about the offense and it wasn't a great statistical day for Dylan Gabriel. There's been times where there's been open targets that flat out got underthrown, overthrown, they were missed, right? So it's a good thing that on the throw where J- uh, Jalil Farouk winds up with a 41-yard touchdown that you hit on that play because yeah. that's not necessarily been a sure thing all season for Dylan Gabriel and for True. Oklahoma. So the uh, the way that the game ultimately unfolded that play uh, just individually in a game where, you know, at times, you know, you had what, the three drives in a row that were scoring drives for Oklahoma, but you stalled out on each of those first-half scoring drives. And then outside of that, there kind of wasn't a lot of good for the most part for OU, save for the touchdown drive that just got set up right by the turnover and then that one play in the second half to Farouk. So it's a good thing you hit on that one play. You have to be encouraged and not too discouraged with our offense right now, says the text line. Offensively, we had our way with them the first half. Just got to finish the drives. That's encouraging as Gabriel is getting more comfortable and confident and in control. Levy seems to be hitting his stride as well. Sims' worst game as a Sooner left 14 points on the board. Uh, probably talking about Mims there. Worst game as a Sooner left 14 points on the board. But you can see the progress the last two games offensively. Not worried about the offense, uh, encouraged. You know, you, you brought up Gabriel, and he was not perfect on, on Saturday. We just talked about some of those deep balls that, you know, probably, not probably, 
could have been placed better and maybe you score a couple more touchdowns. But remember those bad misses that he had early in the season? He had a couple of those in the Nebraska game. Um, He definitely had some in the TCU game before he got injured and certainly in the Kansas State game as well. If you're looking for a real positive offensively, especially for Gabriel, is he can he can definitely get better. That, that that's true. But he's not missing on like the real easy throws that he was missing on early in the year. And it's interesting that that's kind of been the case post injury that he had against TCU. Yeah, I, I know that is weird how it's sort of played out that way. I don't know if it's just more time, more seat time, even with the the injury obviously separating the the two stints of seat time, more time running the offense, or if it's just he's just been more accurate. And it's probably the latter, right? It's probably he's just been more accurate on throws that need to be made. Uh, do you think Gabriel will start over Arnold next year if he keeps playing the same? That's from Tulsa Mike. I think Dylan Gabriel will be your day one starter next year. Uh, we have seen situations before, most notably at Clemson, right, where – you know, one guy starts the season as the starter, and then the true freshman ends up taking over. I, I wouldn't necessarily guess that right well, right now. My guess is that Gabriel's back, and Gabriel's your starting QB next year. I'd be pretty – as it sits today, Josh, I'd be pretty surprised if something different were to happen. I mean, Jackson Arnold would have to be really, really impressive for that not to be the case. Or Dylan Gabriel would have to – these final – four games here not be good right I mean if he took a serious step backwards then that could change his complexion of how this thing looks and feels going into the offseason right now though it would be a big surprise if Arnold is your starter to start next season now could he start a game before the end of next season is done okay well that I think percentage wise is a much different possibility but to start the year would be a massive massive shocker I think DG is doing a fine job, but he's got to stop overthrowing that deep ball. A yard short is always better than a yard long. Well, maybe sometimes a yard short, you're talking about an interception there. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I see the point that's being made. Yeah, no, OU has got – the offense has got to be better with the deep ball moving forward. That, that's just such a big part of this offense under Jeff Levy. And you see how many times – they were going to the first down deep ball, which puts you behind the sticks, man. Second and ten is tough, especially against the uh, the best defense in the conference like Iowa State. That's not an easy spot to be in. But the deep balls down the field, Levy's going to continue to dial those up because it is such a big part of the offense. And I still think one of the strengths of this offense when they're hitting on all cylinders. So, yeah, man, you, you won on Saturday despite hitting on really that one outside of Jaleel Farouk, I, I guess if you want to call that a deep ball. But, sure, if we want to talk about this team running the table, a lot of things have to be better, even from Saturday. But right there at the top of the list, Josh, the deep ball is going to have to be – it's going to have to be completed more often than it was against Iowa State. Yeah. No, they need to get more consistent there. And the Farouk play, I mean, really that was more of an intermediate route that uh, obviously he turned into a 41-yard touchdown because guess what? There was nobody in the area code when uh, he caught that thing sort of, what, 15, 20 yards downfield? I mean, that wasn't the play that I think people are talking about when uh, they refer to the deep ball, right? Like your go route or your deep post or whatever. You know what's crazy is that's your largest win over Iowa State since 2015. (laughs) It didn't feel like it, did it? Because – 59 and a half minutes of that game was completely stressful on Saturday. It did not feel like the largest win over anybody, 
in like a seven-year span. But it's your largest win against Iowa State this year and the largest margin of defeat that Iowa State has suffered all year long. Isn't that crazy to say? Yeah. And your offense didn't even play all that well. No. No, I mean, it definitely was a step in the wrong direction offensively for Oklahoma. Now, am I panicked about it? I'm not. But if we're just breaking the game down for what it was, offense wasn't all that great at times in this game versus Iowa State. And yet, lo and behold, it winds up being the one that uh, you win by a couple of scores. Goes to show you, right, when you get the types of turnovers that Oklahoma got in this game, that widens some margins out. And obviously, the, the Stutzman interception totally uh, ended this game. Yeah, no, it did. 405-651-3439 is the number to the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Interact with the show there. I'm live at the Newcastle Casino today on this Halloween, and it feels like Halloween here at the Newcastle Casino with everyone dressed up. We uh, had Spider-Man earlier right in front of me uh, playing the slots, which was uh, pretty funny. Tyler McComas, Josh Helmer, more to come next right here on the Homeless Sooner Fans. It's the ref. Live at the Newcastle Casino on this Victory Monday, Tyler McComas and Josh Helmer. 405-651-3439 is the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Someone asking, hey, was that Iowa State's first double-digit loss since the uh, 2019 bowl game against Notre Dame, which I believe that was the same day OU lost to uh, LSU in the Peach Bowl to tell you how long it's been. No, they lost to Iowa, I feel like, the very um, next year, or maybe last year they lost to – yeah, last year they lost to Iowa by 10. They lost by double digits. Now – is that the largest margin of defeat Iowa State's had since that Notre Dame loss in the Cheez-It Bowl on December 28th, uh, 2019? Uh, going back, I think it is. They're, they're just a, they're a hard team to blow out of the stadium with how good defensively and just kind of overall the way that they play. So it, it was a 14 Dude, you'll take it. Anyone would have taken a 14-point win over Iowa State on Friday. Are you kidding so me? So I'm sitting here on Monday saying, yes, of course I'll take it. Look, I think uh, we got to be honest about the situation at Oklahoma right now. This team got its doors blown off by both TCU and Texas. And the, the TCU game, yeah, you played without Gabriel for two and a half quarters, but let's be realistic about the situation of where that game was headed. It did not look like it was going in a good direction, like Oklahoma was it about wasn't. to rally back and win that game. I think Oklahoma was getting beat soundly regardless of who played quarterback for the re- remainder of that first half and into the second half. So this Oklahoma team just walking out of aims with the win the rest of the way if you can get wins you take them you the, the style points thing with this team style points should not be your big concern the rest of the way look you you can think this team is bad you can think that this team is good I, I don't I don't really care like overall what you think about this team because I know that kind of everyone's opinion is different on how good this team actually is but here's what's happened over the past two games and I think if nothing else you have to acknowledge this the TCU game was embarrassing. The Texas game was worse. It was the most embarrassing game in my lifetime that I can remember, losing that way to Texas, 49 nothing. And I'm not saying that that game or that loss is acceptable by any stretch of the imagination, but, I mean, that, that was a really trying time for this program, man, getting embarrassed like that. And, sure, I, I'm sure a lot of people thought, including myself, are you going to be able to keep this team together? Are you going to be able to keep them locked in and finish out the year with some optimism and this team get better. You're going to keep everyone in. They haven't trailed uh, in, the, in the two previous games, Josh. And, look, 
there have been issues in the past two games, the win over Kansas and the win over Iowa State. Yes, you can still see several areas where this team has a ways to go and, 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 and reasons why they need to be a whole lot better moving forward, but they've won their past two games, they haven't trailed in those games, and it's looked a whole hell of a lot better than what we saw in Fort Worth or Dallas. If you want to give this team credit for anything, I think you got to start with the fact that that was a really bad loss by Texas, but they've gotten better since then. They have. They're, they're a better football team than the, what they were when they played in Dallas against Texas. I know that's not a hard thing to accomplish, but they've kind of seemingly rallied. They, they've stayed in this thing and figured out a way to start carving out some wins. I don't know how you feel about the tram column that was put out there. I know that that ruffled some Oklahoma fans. A lot of feathers. Yeah, ruffled some feathers, but I didn't think it was, you know, without having read the column because paywall, but, you know, just the headline itself I didn't think was totally out of bounds. But, again, I know that there were some Oklahoma fans that were upset about uh, upset about it. That being said, I mean, for, to me, I can understand where because of the three-game losing streak and because of the fashion in which Oklahoma lost two of those three games, yeah, I think, uh, I think if you're being realistic about it, not saying that anybody was, you know, ready to punt on the Brent Venables era or totally say that the hire was wrong or that it wasn't going to work out, but on some level there was doubt. First, not every every person or piece of the Oklahoma fan base, but there was some doubt somewhere, right? So one thing with the head coach that you want to see, and especially a first-time head coach, is we, we hear it all the time, every level of head coaches, right? How do they respond after a bye week? And I thought – that was a really, really nice response for Oklahoma. It looked like a team, okay, yeah, there were problems offensively, but defensively has been the big crux of the issues for this team. And there's no doubt that Oklahoma went out and played its finest day defensively since Nebraska. So I thought just from the coaching side of it, we have to give credit to Brent Venables and this defensive staff. They had the team ready to go. Yeah, no, they did. Dallas Bill says, is this the first game since – this last Saturday that TCU did not take out an opposing quarterback during the game. Yeah, I, I did see the uh, the highlights where West Virginia was throwing an interception or threw an incompletion maybe late in the game uh, when they were down, I think, maybe a field goal or a touchdown, whatever it was. And JT Daniels was still in the game. So I think that this is the first time in like a month that TCU did knock out the starting quarterback. But I don't know. They may have injured the rest of West Virginia's team like they did OU. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're pretty talented uh, at that. They're, they're obviously unbeaten, but uh, for some reason this year injuring players seems to be uh, something the Horned Frogs specialize in. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of the Big 12, remember the, uh, the conversation two or three weeks ago like, oh, boy, oh, you picked a bad year to have a down year with the way that the rest of the conference looks, you know? Well, they picked a really good year to have this special teams group because without this – significantly improved special teams group. Um, I don't know if we have as much optimism as we have today. Zach Schmidt has been fantastic. He had your first 13 points of the game on Saturday. Michael Turk has been really good. What was he, co-Big 12 special teams player of the week? This is the best special teams group at OU that I can remember in quite some time. I Maybe I'll go back after the show today and, and find the exact year of the last time they were this good all the way around, but kind of all the way around, especially at punter and kicker. They're, they're good, and they desperately need it with, with, with this year's team, man, because the margin of error is just so slim. If you wanted to critique, and this is just off the top of my head, this is not looking at the statistical numbers 
return game, right? Kick return, punt return, you could probably maybe get a little bit more right there. I think they've at least tried to be aggressive on punt return, which I appreciate about this coaching staff and this team. But, yeah, the, the two – I mean – Punter, yeah, averaged 49 per punt, Michael Turk did on Saturday, two of which were downed inside the 20. Obviously, uh, the the punt coverage unit there to get down and down that thing at the one was really, really nicely done. And Zach Schmidt, yeah, has been great. Uh, what is he uh, – is he 8 of 9 now kicking? I know he just missed that one at Nebraska. I mean, that's the only one. That, that sounds right. Would he make two on Saturday? I think 8 of 9 could be right, yeah. So, yeah, they, they've been good. They, they've been good in that department. And, uh, obviously, you know, the rest of the way, you would imagine that Oklahoma, just the way that it's currently constructed, I'm not ready to sit here on the radio and predict that there's going to be four comfortable wins for Oklahoma. So chances are you're going to need both of those guys to help push you over the top. Yeah. Sean says, I found the game somewhat normal, as it was like almost every game the last five years. OU is dominating, but the opponent has a legitimate chance to win in the fourth quarter. Uh, there's, there's, that's definitely accurate. You know, you, you get up two scores after that touchdown to Farouk and it's like, okay, maybe I can take a a little bit of a breather here. All right. You got the two score lead. Your defense is playing well. It kind of feels comfortable for the first time today. And I can't remember if it was that next possession or the possession after that's when you give up that fourth and 12 for a touchdown. So now Sean's not wrong. I, I think overall it was a good day. But still, just when you think, like, all right, up two scores, you're good now, they give up a fourth and 12, and all of a sudden it's a one-possession game, and that crowd got right back into it. So, yes, it was definitely a frustrating day at, uh, at uh, certain sections of that game. Well, and that's a profound statement, I feel like, about Oklahoma football is it kind of felt like the last five years, right? And speaks to the point that, look, as bad as things looked early this season and – you know, we'll see what the rest of the story ultimately is for Oklahoma on this season's final record. But uh, there were signs, right, that this wasn't really a one-loss type program. And that kind of, just even that observation right there speaks to that a little bit, right? That, well, that's in some ways kind of been who Oklahoma's been, is not the program that even though they've at times been a conference champion in a one-loss team and a college football playoff participant – what have we been kind of harping on and complaining about at times is Oklahoma rarely just puts uh, the throttle down and races away from teams, and that's kind of the mark of great teams. Yeah, that's true. One more before we hit a break. In your opinion, what are the big takeaways from the routing of Oklahoma State? Does OU match up well with them with Bedlam right around the corner? Uh, my big takeaway is, you know, we've definitely seen at times this year that it's just not the same Oklahoma State defense from, from last year, but – Saturday was the real slap in the face that that's not the case and that maybe they're not that great of a defense this year. You know, Kansas State, who is not known for being a big play offense other than the OU game this year, unfortunately, their touchdowns, uh, Josh, were 38 yards, 62 yards, 31 yards, 41 yards. OSU gave up a ton of of big plays on Saturday, and like, how do I think OU matches up? I think OU matches up pretty well with them offensively because in the back end, they're not a great defense, and OU is an up-tempo offense that likes to take a lot of chances down the field. This is an OSU offense that's given up a ton of big plays, and what is OU offensively? More than anything, they're a big play offense, so I think OU matches up well with them, and I think the spread currently right now is OU minus six. 
Yeah, it's uh, obviously the complexion of a, a couple of these games coming down the, the stretch here, both Baylor and Oklahoma State. Baylor before the season, what you thought Baylor might be, or at least some people out there, what they thought Baylor might be. And then Oklahoma State early in this year, and then the complexion of who the Cowboys are coming out of what happened to them versus Kansas State, the health of Spencer Sanders, what does that look like? I mean, now, again, uh, like uh, we discussed off the top, every game looks winnable for Oklahoma. Now, that's going to require improvement, and I do – I'm not – I'm not naive to the fact that having said that about both Baylor and Oklahoma State, Tyler, each of those two teams on paper better than the two teams that Oklahoma played and beat each of these last two games. Yeah. All right, uh, the big story in college football today, there is an SEC job that is open. Who got fired and who is the favorite to land said SEC job? We'll tell you about that more coming up next. Keep it locked right here on The Ref. We are the Homeless Sooner fans. Cavens Construction, bringing you this hour of the rush. You got a 24-7 emergency repair at your home or your office building. CavensConstruction.com. Cavens, bringing you this hour of the rush on a victory Monday. Big story of the day in college football. Auburn has fired head coach Brian Harson. Less than two years on the job. 9-12 overall on the Plains. He's got a $15 million buyout, and half of that is due in 30 days. Do not feel bad for Brian Harson. He's going to get north of $7 million in the next 30 days. I think he's doing all right. So who's going to get the Auburn job? Well, there's several names that have already been listed. Apparently, because they just hired a new AD today. So basically the new AD was hired, and one of his first tasks or his first job was to fire the current head football coach. He's wasting no time. Reportedly the favorite, Auburn is zeroing in on Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin. Now, I think historically – Auburn has been a better job than Ole Miss for the most part. I don't see Lane Kiffin going to Auburn. I would much rather my biggest rival be Mississippi State rather than Alabama. Yes, you can win a national championship at Auburn. It has not been proven that you can win one at Ole Miss. I don't think Lane necessarily cares about that. But I do think Lane is going to milk this one for all it's worth, Josh. He'll end up with a nice little pay extension at the end of the year from the Rebels. Yeah, and I mean, he's got a good thing going at Ole Miss. He's built it up. They're playing well. The The pressure between the two jobs is totally different. At Ole Miss, they've got to be thrilled with what's going on. I mean, sure, they'd, they'd like oh, no to doubt, man. You know, win the SEC and, and do all those kind of things and get to the college football playoff, but the expectation that that's realistically going to happen at Ole Miss is not the same, right? At Auburn, that's expected even though your chief rival is Alabama. So the the pressure of the two jobs, Lane Kiffin's in a, a good spot. He's winning there. I, I don't know that there's any reason to uh, to leave it to go play second fiddle to Alabama, though. I think that'd be a great hire for Auburn if they could pull it off. Yeah. With the Mississippi State AD going to Auburn, could Mike Leach follow him and be the next head coach at Auburn? Ask the text line. Yeah, I, I think Auburn's looking to go in a different direction than Mike Leach. And he's done some okay things at Mississippi State. I, I think they're still in the top 25 this week, right? I know they play Auburn this week, actually. But, yeah, I, I think Auburn's looking for a bigger splash higher uh, than what Mike Leach could give. I, I think, as uh, crazy it might sound, Deion Sanders could be in the running for this job. I don't think that they're ultimately going to go in that direction. But well, what would you think about Dion? Landing at Auburn at a top 20 job. That would be 
the most interesting hire maybe we've seen in the sport in quite some time. Dion getting his chance at an SEC school. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have kind of floated that out there. I, you know, I don't know. To, to me, it's, uh, look, he's done some nice things at Jackson State, but that's a big leap up for somebody that. I don't love it either. Oh, I, I mean, I would love it for the entertainment, but I would not. If I was an Auburn fan, I don't want Dion as the head coach. No. Could he recruit there? Sure, but a little bit more than just recruiting. See Texas A&M as an example of that, as Jimbo Fisher can't buy a win this year. All right, uh, hour number two of The Rush is coming up next, live from Newcastle Casino. Keep it locked on The Ref.